0: Welcome to Hence the Future podcast. I'm Moore Cronin, and today we're discussing the future of precious metals. That means we'll be exploring why so many savvy investors are flocking to gold and especially silver right now. We'll also explore the role that gold and silver are likely to play in the next phase of the global financial system, which many are calling the Great Reset. And we'll compare the relative value of gold and silver to other asset classes like Bitcoin, stocks, bonds, real estate holdings, and fiat currencies. Let's start with what's going on right now in the silver market. The price of silver has been rising pretty dramatically over the last few months, and this is partially being driven by Redditors and Wall Street Bets people attempting a short squeeze on silver in the same way that they short squeezed GameStop. However, the silver short squeeze has not been nearly as successful as it was with GameStop. And many experts are pointing out that you cannot corner the silver market in the same way that you can with a publicly traded equity like GameStop. Now, why is this? With GameStop, just like with any other publicly traded company, there are a set number of shares outstanding. This is the float, the total amount of shares that there are. And unless GameStop votes to issue new shares, that will be the total number of shares. So you cannot increase the supply if you're the U.S. government. Now, you would think this is the same with silver, right? There's a certain amount of silver, physical silver in the world, and the government can't really suppress silver or gold prices because they can't print new silver or print new gold out of nothing. Now, this is what you would intuitively think to be the case, but there is something called fractional banking that allows banks to lend out and sell more silver than actually exists. So for instance, if I buy $1,000 worth of silver through an ETF like SLV, you would think that I have in some bank vault my $1,000 worth of silver safely there, earmarked with my name on it. But that's not actually what happens. What happens is only 1% or 2% of the value that is being invested in gold or silver is actually kept in bank reserves. So 99% of all the claims on gold and silver basically do not exist. And this is fine so long as everyone is happy and content with owning their paper gold or paper silver and they don't actually demand the real physical version of that. But let's say that there is something that shakes consumer confidence and all of a sudden everyone wants physical gold, physical silver. It's not enough to just have some piece of paper that says I own this much gold or I own this much silver. That could create a situation where the dominoes start to fall. The price of silver goes up dramatically, that leads to the price of gold going up dramatically, that leads to runaway inflation, and the dollar could essentially become worthless, just like every fiat currency in history has eventually gone to zero. Obviously, the US Federal Reserve and central banks all around the world do not want this to happen. They don't want the stability of the global financial system to be threatened. So how do central banks and the u.s federal reserve suppress gold and silver prices and what's going to happen next in order to really understand this we have to understand a brief history of what's happened up until now and where we are in the cycle in pre-modern times the gold standard was pretty much the norm so in ancient rome for instance one golden aureus coin a gold coin could buy you a few hundred liters of cheap wine just like it could buy you today if you dug up an old Roman aureus coin, and it was in good condition, you could buy the same amount of wine today than you could back in time. So there's essentially no inflation when you're on the gold standard. And a great example of this is in England, which experienced no inflation for almost 200 years up until the dissolution of the gold standard in 1914. And the reason the gold standard is beneficial is because It provides stability. You know how much your money can buy, so you can plan for the future accordingly. However, what always tends to happen is that the currency gets devalued over time. So at the pinnacle of Rome, the gold content in the coin was synonymous with the value of that coin. But over the years, they would put less and less gold content or less and less silver content into the currency so that the actual value of the coins became less and less valuable compared to the nominal value of the coin so this is the same sort of thing that happened in england so up until world war one the british sterling pound was the world's reserve currency and it was made of silver so it was backed by silver backed by gold in a very real sense but in 1914 that's when world war one began and world war one was the first total war It was the first world war and what allowed it to be a war in a scale that we had never experienced before is that it used to be the case that you could only fight war with as much money as you had in your vault so if i'm some kingdom and i'm fighting a war against some neighboring kingdom i can only spend as much as gold as i have in the royal vaults once i run out of gold i can't really spend anymore unless i take money from my people or do something else in the physical world. And this is why in old wars, you would see people would raid some other kingdom, they'd take all of their gold, and that's essentially how they would grow their empire. And up until World War II, this was the standard. You would conquest, you would set up colonies, you would take their gold, you would accumulate as much gold as you could in your vaults because that's pretty much what you needed in order to spend. But once we moved to fiat currency in World War I, when britain realized that it was no longer able to finance the war because it wasn't didn't have much actual british sterling pound left to finance world war 1 so instead they went off of the gold standard the silver standard and this allowed them to essentially spend the entire value of everyone who used British sterling pounds rather than just what the government owned. So they could spend and spend and spend. And as long as there was still some economic value left in the people that held British pound sterlings, the government could continue to spend. And this is the same case with every other world power during World War One. Germany went to fiat currency, every major country went to fiat currency, so they could essentially embark in total war, our whole economy against your whole economy. Or one way this is talked about is currency wars. It's really a value of what is our whole monetary system against your whole monetary system and which one is gonna win in the end. Well, we know that at the end of World War I, Germany was on the losing side and so they had to pay all of these reparations And in order to pay their reparations that were really more than they were able to pay, they had to print all of this money so it would be cheaper for them to pay it. But this led to the famous runaway inflation in Germany, where you literally had people with wheelbarrows of money buying like one loaf of bread. And this is an example of what can happen when runaway inflation reaches a certain tipping point. And the fact that Germany had such onerous demands as far as reparations it had to pay, and because it suffered so much from runaway inflation, a lot of that resentment is what led to World War II. And after World War II, once the Allies defeated the Axis, this was the last great reset that occurred in the global financial system. Because at that point, all of these fiat currencies had basically been stretched to the breaking point And America was the only really strong economy left because America up until then had been very inward looking and towards the end of the war, they were the ones bankrolling all of the allies' war efforts. So Britain and Russia and all of these countries would pay money, they'd pay gold to America. America would produce planes and and bombers and all sorts of things that would help them win the war. So by this point, America had most of the world's gold reserves. It was in the strongest economic position, and this is when the famous Bretton Woods Conference occurred. During the Bretton Woods Conference, some countries like France proposed a new international form of money called Bancor that would be backed by gold, that would be conducted by the new International Monetary Fund, And that way, no one country would have too much power as it relates to currency. However, the other proposal that was on the table is that the U.S. dollar becomes the world reserve currency. And this had a lot of supporters because the U.S. was in the strongest position and a lot of the allies wanted the U.S. to help them out and give them some support. So, as a compromise, the U.S. became the world's reserve currency, but it was exchangeable in gold. So, if any country in the Bretton Woods Agreement wanted to exchange some of its excess dollars for gold, they could do so at a fixed price of $35 per one ounce of gold. Now, this arrangement worked out all right for a while, but eventually, the temptation for the U.S. to create new dollars de novo became too tempting, just like it has for every country that has ever created a fiat currency throughout history. And this allowed the U.S., who was the only country that could create new global reserve currency to run massive debts with little impact. Because if the U.S. spent way more money than it actually took in through taxes, it could create more money than to pay for the interest they had to pay on their debt. And because the currency was used by everyone, essentially every US dollar holder absorbed the devaluation of the currency. So the impact to the US alone wasn't that much because most dollars were held outside of the US. This is a major competitive advantage for the US and over time it began to accelerate. And this especially became true during the Cold War when the US was now investing in all of these overseas wars, things like Vietnam, things like the Korean wars, and countries started to become worried. Countries like Britain and France started to exchange their excess dollars for gold because they were worried about what would happen if the dollar became too devalued. And between 1959 and 1971, the U.S. lost over half of its gold reserves. And it was clear at this point that if they kept this up, the U.S. would be out of all of its gold reserves in just a few years. That's why in 1971, President Nixon announced that he would break the Bretton Woods Agreement and the U.S. dollar would no longer be convertible for gold. And if you look at the statistics over time, you can notice very obvious changes from 1971 until today. You'll see the debt skyrocket. You'll see real wages stagnate. You'll see income inequality soar all of these indicators of an unwell economy start to emerge after 1971. And this is also when the real suppression of the price of gold and silver starts. It had already been suppressed before, but it was suppressed in a more transparent way where they were actually selling physical gold and silver in order to drop the price. What you see after 1971 Is more obscure ways of suppressing the price of gold and silver. So you'll notice all of the banking sector became very consolidated after 1971. There used to be all of these small independent banks. Now, in more recent years, there has just been a few big banks that work directly with the Federal Reserve. And the Federal Reserve is constantly creating new money. They give this to the banks, the banks lend it out. And now the government is in control of the monetary system to a much greater degree than would ever be possible under a gold standard. And one of the ways that they're able to suppress the price of gold is by ETFs. So because they don't have to own all of the actual gold and silver that they're selling through ETFs, they only have to own like one or 2% through fractional banking, they can constantly be selling this paper gold and silver. And analyses have shown that during trading hours, the price of gold and silver tend to go down. And when it's not during trading hours, the price of gold and silver tend to go up. So there's this constant effort to keep prices down because every economist knows that when the price of gold starts to go up, that's a harbinger for the overall economy. And it means that every other asset class, especially the fiat currency asset class, might be in serious trouble. Now, this financial house of cards almost came crashing down in 2008 with the subprime mortgage crisis. However, the central bankers quickly put together a stimulus package, they bailed out the big banks, and so they were able to maintain the status quo for a little while longer. But they didn't fix the underlying problem. It's like we're just treating the symptoms of the illness, but we hadn't actually solved the full illness yet. And even though the central bankers were able to maintain the status quo after 2008, countries, especially Russia and China, started to realize that, hey, the end game might be right around the corner and therefore we should not keep investing in U.S. dollars and we should start to accumulate as much gold as we can so that if there is another great reset and we need to go back to something more akin to a gold standard, we will have enough gold in our reserves. That's also why China has stopped buying U.S. debt after 2010. So up until 2010, China was the main creditor to the U.S. China would buy U.S. debt, and the thought was the U.S. is stable, this is a good investment, China will make its money back. But after 2010, after the subprime mortgage crisis became very clear, China essentially canceled the U.S.'s credit card and no longer is buying much U.S. debt. Now the US is actually buying its own debt, which is an even more precarious situation than what we were in before. Fast forward to today in 2021, 25% of all US dollars have been created in the last year. And this is under the guise of stimulus and COVID relief, but really it's a way to extend the Wiley e. Coyote phase before we fall just a little bit longer, just a few more years. And the reason we're starting to see cracks now, especially in the silver market, is because there's a lot of industrial demand for silver now. Silver is used in things like pharmaceuticals and computing and energy storage. And therefore the demand for real physical silver is starting to rise beyond which the federal banks can suppress the price of silver. And that's why, just like how in recent months we saw palladium price skyrocket because they could no longer keep the prices down and people needed real physical palladium, we're starting to see that now with silver. And the question is, if this reaches a tipping point for silver, will the same thing happen to gold? And will that lead to massive devaluation of the dollar and a great reset? So before we get into how this great reset is likely to unfold, let's talk about how we can prepare for the great reset and what asset classes are most advantageous if and when this does occur. One thing that I've heard a lot of people talk about is Bitcoin's better than gold or gold's better than Bitcoin. And I think this is the wrong way of framing it. It's not about gold versus Bitcoin. It's about all the assets that can be printed and manipulated by the government and central banks. And then there's the assets that cannot be printed and manipulated by the government and central banks. So I would say if you're holding a lot of money in cash, You're probably better off putting that into some mixture of gold and Bitcoin and real estate and anything else physical that cannot be manipulated, or even stocks, because the government cannot issue new stocks on behalf of a company is a much better bet than holding fiat currency. The advantage that gold has over Bitcoin is that it's God's money. And what I mean by saying it's God's money is that it has had intrinsic value since the dawn of Homo sapiens. For as long as the historical record stretches back, people have valued gold because it's shiny, it's beautiful. There's many things you can do with the physical metal of gold. And silver is even more valuable in that sense because it has real world uses that extend perhaps even far beyond what gold has. Now that's the main advantage of gold and silver. You can be pretty sure that if you keep a lot of physical gold and silver, it will maintain value for not only 10 years or 100 years, but for thousands of years, probably for as long as there are human beings walking the planet. And that's because there's no counterparty risk. There's no one else that you have to go to to convince them that gold has value. Everyone inherently believes that gold has value. But the main downside of gold is that it's not easy to transfer it's pretty difficult and inconvenient to carry around a big sack of silver coins or gold coins and physically trade them with people, especially in today's world where every bit of commerce is done through the internet. So if you want to have a gold-backed currency or you want to transfer gold, now you do need to introduce counterparty risk, which is the exact thing you were trying to get away from by going to gold and silver. So if you have to rely on some bank to store your gold in a vault so that you can digitally transfer the claim on that gold to other people, all of a sudden there's a risk. What if that bank runs out of your gold or doesn't manage it well or lends out too much of it and other people request it back? Or there's all of these new risks when you don't have the physical gold and silver and you only have the claim on gold and silver. Now that gets to the major advantage of Bitcoin. The advantage of Bitcoin is that the value of the Bitcoin is in the blockchain itself. It's in the code. You don't need some separate vault holding the valuable part of Bitcoin. The valuable part of Bitcoin is in the digital code itself. So if you wanna transfer Bitcoin securely, you can do so without having any third party. That's what we mean by a decentralized financial system. And because Bitcoin is stored digitally on the blockchain, There's less risk of some thieves coming to your house and stealing all of your gold and silver or the government coming and seizing all of your gold and silver holdings as has happened in the past. It'd be really hard to do that with Bitcoin because you would need to hand over your private key. So as long as you know your private key and you're not willing to tell it to someone else, there's nothing they can seize. The asset is on the blockchain it's publicly visible, it's decentralized. And as long as there's one computer still running the Bitcoin network, you're safe. That's why Bitcoin is a great currency for the quote, crypto anarchy scenario, where it's like Mad Max, but there's some layer of commerce done through crypto. And in that sense, it is better than gold. It's a better medium of exchange than gold because you don't have to physically carry anything around. But Gold may be a better store of value because it has intrinsic value beyond just the belief. It can actually be used for physical things, whereas Bitcoin is real. It really is a belief system. So it is possible that one day everyone on earth may agree that Bitcoin no longer has value. I don't think that's going to happen, but theoretically it could happen. But with gold, that seems pretty much impossible given the history of gold having value since the dawn of man. Let's talk about what sort of world would we live in after the Great Reset and how is the Great Reset actually likely to play out? Let's start with the worst case scenario. Worst case scenario. The worst case scenario is that Bitcoin was the first canary in the coal mine, silver is the next canary, That leads to the gold crisis and that leads to a dollar crisis. So a lot of people have been thinking, how could Bitcoin be rising so quickly? Oh, my gosh. Can you believe Bitcoin is almost at 50K per one Bitcoin? And some people think this is evidence that Bitcoin is a ridiculous asset class, that it's risky. You shouldn't put any of your money into Bitcoin, but that's only if you value Bitcoin in dollars if you value dollars in Bitcoin, then the dollars have been devalued incredibly. And interestingly, if you look at even how much stocks have risen, it looks like a fantastic bull market, even despite the pandemic. But if you value stocks in Bitcoin, there's actually been massive loss in the value of stocks over time. So it's worth noting that everything is relative. And there has been so much stability in what people think of as What's $10 worth? What's $20 worth? So it takes a real psychological shift to hit that runaway inflation where all of a sudden you realize, wow, $100 or $1,000 is worth nothing. You know, I'm way better off having other sorts of assets. So in the worst case scenario, the silver crisis leads to the gold crisis, leads to the dollar crisis, and it's only a year or two away. So we don't have a lot of time to plan. But the worst case scenario of all, in my opinion, is that this leads to an authoritarian rise, just like it did in the 1930s. It seems really unlikely that this could happen now, but I'm a little bit worried when you look at what's going on with American politics and nationalism and how easy it would be to blame the Democrats if this great reset and runaway inflation happened let's say while biden is still in office it would be so easy to blame it all on biden or vilify any one person or one party and that could open the door to some new authoritarian maybe not trump maybe someone more savvy and and malevolent and ambitious than trump could rise to power and to me that really is the worst case scenario and i'm not saying it's the most likely but it is something we need to look out for because we are at the end of this cycle, the end of this monetary cycle. And it may not happen in 2021 because we are still feeling positive and optimistic from the vaccine and we're dealing with the pandemic. But in 2022 or 2023 or maybe the next US election, 2024, I could see runaway inflation occurring, which could spark an authoritarian regime and could upset the freedoms that many of us enjoy and could upset the overall global economy. Now let's get into the best case scenario. Best case scenario. In the best case scenario, a new era of decentralized finance will take place. So regardless of what the official currencies are, I think decentralized finance will explode in a positive way once this great reset occurs. And I wouldn't be surprised if Bitcoin becomes the new world reserve currency, or if the new digital dollar, digital yen, digital pound are all exchangeable in Bitcoin. So for instance, we could set a new standard, just like how in Bretton Woods, $35 was exchangeable for one ounce of gold. We could set something new where $1 is exchangeable for 1,000 Satoshis or 0.0001 Bitcoin. That would provide stability, transparency, and it would be really easy for people to cooperate because there would be a level of trust in our financial system that hasn't existed. It's possible we could go to a gold standard, but because of the risk of someone needing to physically hold the gold so that you can transfer digital claims on that gold, Personally, I don't feel that confident in that sort of a system. So it seems unlikely we would go back to a full-fledged gold standard, but there will be a revaluation of gold and silver. And I believe that once this great reset occurs, we're gonna see the price of all of these assets that have real value, like gold, silver, Bitcoin, real estate, all of these are going to go way up in value. So people who hold that, are gonna be in a much better position than people that, that only hold you know, all of their money in, in fiat. But I still think that in this best case scenario, it could be a really fruitful reset for everyone. And with the stimulus bills, we've kind of already gone down the path of giving people some amount of US dollars per month on an ongoing basis. I think this is inevitably what will have to happen because of what's going on with automation and globalization and AI. And I don't think that has to be a bad thing. I think if everyone can get a certain amount per month just to cover their basic needs, there will still be enough competition where people really want to do better and accumulate more so they have a comparative advantage to their peers and their neighbors while still having the full freedom to pursue whatever they want to pursue in life because they don't have to worry about going completely broke or going bankrupt for medical bills or becoming homeless. So I see this as really challenging in the short term but in the medium term and the long term we could see a massive boon in our economy just like we did with the baby boom that happened after the last great reset so i'm very optimistic about what will be achieved and what can become possible after the next great reset now let's get into the most likely scenario most likely scenario The most likely scenario in my mind is that the big reset will occur within the next five to 10 years, maybe sooner. And once it occurs, there will be some restructuring of debt. It's hard to say which types of debt will be canceled and which types of debt will be preserved, but some debt will for sure be restructured. There will be a revaluation of gold and silver and any other asset that has value. So people that hold those assets will be in a better position than people who don't hold those assets. I think the nationalization and consolidation of the financial industry will continue as it has for decades, so that eventually there won't be all these different banks. There will basically just be one bank that emits digital US dollars and maybe it's exchangeable for Bitcoin, maybe it's exchangeable for gold, maybe it's exchangeable for some bundle of goods like the consumer price index is It's hard to see exactly how this will be structured, but I feel confident that America will be fine after this. Most people will be fine. In my mind, the future of precious metals, just like the future of real estate and Bitcoin and stocks, all of these futures are going to be bright. The future of dollars and ETFs and bonds and treasury bills, I believe will not be so bright. So with that, I will leave you. I hope you enjoyed today's episode, and I'll see you you next time.